Good morning. This is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. Good morning, everybody. It is 9.15 a.m. It is March the 29th, 2019. This is episode 78 of Bitcoin and... And we're just going to jump into this with uh, Criminal Past haunts the surviving founder of Troubled Crypto Exchange. That's right, people. It's Quadriga CX News. Yay. Now, this one did come out March 19th. So it's, you know, if, you, if you've already read it, yeah, sorry about it. But still, the Quadriga saga is just, God, it's just too good to pass up. This is from Doug Alexander and Matt Robinson from Bloomberg. And uh, wow, man, Michael Patron, he is one hell of a character. So let's begin. His crimes, identity theft related to a bank and credit card scam. His sentence, 18 months in U.S. federal prison. And later, he got deported to Canada. Oh, wow. Once there, Omar Donnie underwent a remarkable transformation into a new identity in the wild world of cryptocurrencies. I think it's Danani, 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 now known as Michael Patron, has emerged as an enigmatic figure in the strange case of Quadriga Fintech Solutions Corp., the digital exchange owner that hasn't been able to find $260 million Canadian dollars of clients' cash and cryptocurrencies. Patron co-founded Quadriga five years ago with the late Jerry Cotton, whose sudden death in December at age 30, left the Vancouver-based firm in shambles. Patron denied he was Danani in a February 8th report in Canada's Globe and Mail newspaper and disputed a subsequent report linking him to a criminal past. But Canadian records obtained by Bloomberg News confirm he legally changed his name twice. (laughs) In 2003 and 2008, who the hell has to change their name between five years? Within five years, you change your name after you've already changed. God, what a, wow, that is a piece of work right there, man. The revelation adds a new layer to the mystery surrounding Quadriga, whose closure in January left 115,000 clients wondering if they will ever get their money back. Cotton ran the operation mostly from his laptop. So his death while traveling in India threw the business into disarray. The firm has been under creditor protection since February with Ernst and Young working to unravel the firm's dealings. Digital storage accounts used by Quadriga to hold Bitcoin for clients has been empty, had been empty for months before the CEO's death. According to Ernst and Young, Patron declined to comment about his criminal record and his name change. Patron changed his name from Omar Danani to Omar Patron with <clears throat> with the British Columbia government in March 2003. Five years later, he registered a name change to Michael Patron in the same Canadian province. Who allows that shit? I mean, yeah, it's, I guess it's, you know, anybody's right to change their name as many times as they want. But in the world we live in, don't you think that that would have raised some serious eyebrows? God, whatever. In the U.S., Danani has been charged with numerous crimes. He pleaded guilty to conspiracy to commit credit and bank card fraud at the age of 22, God, in 2005, according to a statement from the U.S. Justice Department. Danani helped operate ShadowCrew.com, a now-defunct marketplace for trafficking stolen credit and bank card numbers. Danani also admitted guilt in 2007 to separate criminal cases for burglary, 
grand larceny and computer fraud, according to the California State Court or California State Court records. After serving his time in the U.S. or in, after serving his time, the U.S. deported him to Canada, where he reinvented himself as a Bitcoin entrepreneur. Patron calls himself a fintech advisor and port, port, portfolio manager in his LinkedIn profile, which also lists him as founder and chairman of Vancouver-based fintech ventures group since 2015, described as Canada's first incubator for blockchain-related startup companies. Patron has, has been trying to bury his past. Last July, he hired a firm to purge unflattering material about him from the internet. One of the posts was a complaint about Omar Danani and a defunct online business called Midas Gold Exchange, Inc., <clears throat> which the Canadian government listed Omar Patron as its sole director. Documents filed in a related lawsuit mention a Reddit post that linked Patron to Quadriga. <clears throat> Patron was involved in Quadriga from the start, helping Cotton establish one of, the Can- one of Canada's first Bitcoin exchanges. Patron discussed those early days in an email exchange with Bloomberg. He and Cotton worked together at nonprofit organizations such as Vancouver's Bitcoin Co-op, providing assistance with education and user adoption on the topic, he said in an email last month. Cotton, who served as chief executive, recounted in a 2014 podcast how he and a a partner he didn't name were working on the idea since 2013. And by December 26, launched the Quadriga platform and set up a Bitcoin ATM in a West Coast city known for early forays into crypto and blockchain. Patron said he departed three years ago over a fundamental disagreement with Cotton on his decision to halt the listing process for the firm. Quote, on the day of our disagreement, I left the company and ceased being privy to operational decisions, he wrote. Since that time, I have not been involved in the operations or management of any of the Quadriga companies. Patron said he stopped being close to Cotton after that, though he heard from the founder weeks before his death. Quote, I spoke with him in November when he sent me a message on my birthday, Patron said. I did not know that he was married or in India until the official announcement of his death. Wow, man. What what a piece of work. <laughs> this is, you know, there is, you know, people are like, will say, well, the crypto, you know, landscape is like the Wild West. Oh, it is so very much like the Wild West. I mean, you know, it's just, it is what it is. There is no safety, people. There's, there is no safety. I mean, that, that's the way all brand new things happen. It is a hotbed for people doing nefarious shit, as well as people trying to do the best by other people that they can. It is a mishmash that represents the best and worst of humanity. And why it is that that's a problem, I I will never understand, because that's the way it's always been. I don't understand why people think things have changed. Speaking of things not changing in the Wild West, uh, Justin's son looks like he uh, destroyed the dreams of a six-year-old boy. I'm, I'm still not sure exactly how this is all working, so let's 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 try to figure this one out. Um, <clears throat> XRP underscore Uzgar uh, at Uzgaroth U Z G A R O T H writes. Do you think Justin Suntron and Tron Foundation scam me? I was officially the winner since he had mentioned that there was no problem with the video and then they just made another draw and they forgot me. Thank you. <laughs> Justin Sun replies directly to this. However, I do recognize that this is an unfortunate situation and would like to extend my warmest welcome to the next Nitron Summit in 2020 including a fully paid round-trip ticket to the event location. We are very grateful for your continued support. Ooh, well, my. Talk about an olive branch. Uzgareth writes back, Can you explain to my six-year-old son, you will not give him a Tesla because you were wrong? I had already told him that it would be his anniversary gift he will meet the next 25th of may and at kind of at this point i you know i'm the whole thing is just kind of falling apart for me <laughs> i mean 
I, I guess this is, is maybe this is, I don't know, like uh, Eastern European, like way Eastern European, Southern Russian. I, I'm not sure who Uzgaroth is. So I'm just thinking that this is just a weird translation because is it his birthday or uh, I, I guess it's a birthday gift and not an anniversary gift. And the second thing up, what six-year-old do you know that drives drives a car? <laughs> Unless I'm completely wrong, and this isn't the whole offer was it a real Tesla, but maybe a toy Tesla. I don't know. But what seems to have happened is that Justin was going to give away a Tesla under some circumstances. This guy apparently his name was drawn, and the and didn't get didn't get the car. Justin drew another name. Uh, to give the car to, to somebody else. Now, the conjecture is, is because Uzgareth has XRP in his name. We don't know. Uh, nobody really knows, I don't, except for except for Justin's son himself. Uh, but in either event, if the guy won and, and Justin's son did draw, draw the name, Justin's son should give the dude the car. I'm, I, you know, I hope the dude, if he does get the car, I really hope he doesn't let a six year old drive the Tesla. I'm not sure if you can actually see over the dashboard at at six years old. I know my six year old cannot see over the dashboard as much as he would like to drive the car. No, (laughs) freaking no. No, absolutely not. So as you can imagine, Justin's son is being raked over the coals and he will probably be raked over the coals until the normal thing that happens with these types of things happen. We forget. We forget. Shit moves so fast in this space that I I will almost guarantee I can almost guarantee that 3 days from now, if even that, if, I I would I suspect that by Monday rolling around, nobody's even going to remember this shit. And that's how bad actors remain to bad actors in any space that they inhabit because they just shroud them. They allow themselves to just disappear in the fog of war. So, you know, maybe I, I, I doubt, you know, I doubt Justin son looks, looks at, uh, his notifications anymore. And if he does look at his notifications, you know that they are filtered down to like only people he actually follows. Uh, could you, I mean, you know, I gave out a, a, a follow Friday this morning and people are writing back saying their notifications are getting crushed, you know, which is an awesome feeling, but can you imagine, could you imagine Justin's son just unclicking all the filter tabs on his, on his notifications it would probably end up be, it would probably destroy his web browsers. <laughs> it just like, just be set on fire, whatever, you know, God, whatever it's, it's weird in either event. That's sort of what's going on. Um, and you know, again, speaking of Justin's son and the, you know, the notifications and because of all the millions of followers or he topped a million followers. I want to uh, reiterate something that Jeff Goldberg, who does a lot of research into social media, what he said, and this is six days ago, he says, 20,000 of Justin Suntron's most recent 50,000 tw- Twitter followers are accounts which were created this month. You know, this month. And many of, and he says, many of them look, looks like this. Now, it's it's hard to describe because it it's a picture you know he's he's clipped a a, a screen grab to uh to this to this tweet so it's kind of hard to you know make it out but there is i mean it's a lot of these accounts are like zero followers one follower you know, and like, yeah, actually there's, he's got a a whole mosaic. Well, it looks like one, two, three, four, 24, maybe, you know, 30, um, separate, um, pictures, all mosaic together. And every single one in this picture is one following and zero followers, every single 
one. And it's just a sample. And Jeff knows how to do this stuff. He's he's really good at being able to pull bullshit out of Twitter uh, simply because of being able to use graphing and, and having access to the Twitter API. I have been doing a lot of that monitoring uh, getting a, uh, you know, being able to visually see my activity on Twitter, you know, what tweets went out that got any, you know, any engagement, if it did get engagement, you know, where, where do those, who, who's engaging and, and all that kind of stuff. And it actually is pretty damned helpful when you're just looking at your own account. Jeff Goldberg looks at stuff like a whole hashtag group and then has, you know, uses uh, the the graphing technologies to sift through, you know, hundreds of thousands of tweets, and always, you know, when he's looking at this kind of stuff, especially in crypto, it's always like most of it, eighty percent, ninety percent, ninety five percent of all these tweets are either from fake accounts, are just or just bullshit starburst patterns, which means that somebody just tweeted something out and the entire thing was filled with hashtags. So it looks impressive, but it's not because there's nothing, there's actually nothing of substance. It's just a whole bunch of hashtags anyway. So, you know, do with that what you want. It's uh, the Justin Suntron thing should be amusing for a few days. But like I said, we're all going to forget Um, Next up in the stack is going to be Facebook's blockchain hiring spree continues with five new job postings. This is from Crypto Sumer, March 29th, 2019. That would be today. Social media behemoth Facebook is advertising for five more blockchain-related positions, adding to the 20 positions already posted by the company in the last month or so. The new blockchain-related positions, all of which are based at the company's Menlo Park headquarters in California, include production manager, business ops manager, data scientist, software engineer, and growth product manager. CEO Mark Zuckerberg has been talking a lot in public about blockchain and cryptography of late. His comments suggest a move to embrace end-to-end encryption of users' data on Facebook, Instagram, and WhatsApp. However, some critics are calling his decentralization and privacy mantra nothing more than a PR message, and that would not surprise me in the least. In a video interview with Harvard Law professor Jonathan Zittrain, Zuckerberg speculated on the prospect of Facebook using a blockchain model to enable decentralized logins without its servers acting as authenticators. Meanwhile, the New York Times recently reported that Facebook is developing a digital currency that its users can trade among each other and exchange on cryptocurrency exchanges. Whatever Facebook is up to, it's definitely hiring. The latest ads also provide some insight into Facebook's crypto strategy. The company said the blockchain team, quote, is a startup within Facebook and we're exploring lots of areas of interest across all facets of blockchain technology, end quote. It's also up it's also talking up the silver-lined promises of blockchain, saying, quote, our ultimate goal is to help billions of people with access to things they don't have now. That could be things like healthcare, equitable financial services, or new ways to save or share information. All right, what do I think about this? It's good and bad news. Good news is depths of bear market, one of the largest companies in the world, is still chatting up blockchain, although that's a, a bullshit word and we all know it it's just it's just a hype machine you know but the fact that somebody like you know mark zuckerberg and facebook is added you know lending their energy systems to hyping shit clearly means it you know we're, we're not dead you know everybody says we're all we're gonna we're all gonna die but no that doesn't seem to be happening uh the bad news about this is that it's facebook and I got to tell you, man, this this whole thing where, where people are, uh, you know, the chatter is that Mark is is going to be, you know, he's going to start respecting privacy. Bullshit. That's like that's like a a wolf getting into your chicken pen and sport killing every single bird that you have. And then have have it say, you know what, the next time you restock this thing with chickens I'm going to be cool. I, 
I promise. Hey, I'm sorry about sport killing all your shit and your egg laying machines and your protein makers. Really sorry about that. But God, you know, next time, next time it'll be different. Bullshit. Bullshit. He doesn't care about your privacy. None, nobody at Facebook cares about your privacy. They, they don't. They are never going to care about your privacy because they never have cared about your privacy. They're not going to change. And as far as this Facebook coin, if that thing gets listed on exchanges, that is going to be sport killed into the ground, just like the wolf in the hen house. You're going to have a whole shitload of people that have been doing this, trading pairs on exchanges, arbitrage, the whole ball of wax, and they are going to sport kill or sport short this thing into the ground just for fun, just because they can. If that thing goes to a public exchange, if the only exchange that it probably wouldn't be able to happen on is if Facebook themselves would uh, develops their own exchange for trading pairs. And even then, it's a high likelihood that it's going to get sport killed into the ground, whatever. I don't care. Facebook coin is stupid. Facebook itself does not care about your privacy and they never will. Looks like Roger's liking his own tweets. <laughs> Roger Ver. Now, okay. I, full disclosure. When I first started out on in, in Twitter, I would like my, <clears throat> like my own tweets and the only reason I did is because I was I didn't know exactly what was going on, but I had a sneaky suspicion that if I could at least get one like on you know my own tweet, that maybe the metrics would you know somehow or another get it injected into the larger scheme of things. And no, it it doesn't work that way. The only thing that works to get to get you know your thing out there, your, your Twitter account or whatever is tweeting, you know, and owning up when you, when you screw up and like nobody likes a particular tweet, you look at it and go, man, this thing got no freaking engagements. Why? And then you look at it and go, Oh, because it's dumb or, you know, wrong or something like that. It has nothing to do whether or not you like your own tweet. So I don't understand why Roger liked his own tweet. Um, other than the fact that He's a bit narcissistic, but what tweet did he like? He liked his own tweet that said, turns out payments on Lightning Network for less than the on-chain network fee amount aren't trustless via Peter Risen. Well, we don't trust Peter Risen. <laughs> we don't trust Roger Ver. So it really, that whole thing does not make one damn bit of difference for me and probably for anybody else except those that are close to Roger. Um, getting a little bit outside of the crypto sphere, it looks like the Russians are at it again. That's right. Bloomberg has in their market section, Russia is dumping U.S. dollars to hoard gold. And this is by Rupert Rowling, Audrey or Andrey Byukov and Yulia Fedorovnova. Man, I'm just, I'm not French and I certainly am, ain't Russian, so I can't pronounce any of this. Except for Vladimir Putin's quest to break Russia's reliance on the U.S. dollar has set off a literal gold rush. Within the span of a decade, the country quadrupled its bullion reserves and 2018 marked the most ambitious year yet. And the pace is keeping up so far this year. Data from the central bank shows that holdings rose by 1 million ounces in February, the most since November. Uh, the data shows that Russia is making rapid prog progress in its efforts to diversify away from American assets. Analysts who have coined the term de-dollarization speculate about the global impacts if more countries adopt a similar philosophy and what it could mean for the dollar's desirability compared to other assets such as gold or the Chinese yuan. French President Emmanuel Macron said in an interview with CNN in November that European corporations and entities are too dependent on the U.S. currency, calling it an issue of sovereignty. But y'all don't like sovereignty. I guess y'all like sovereignty when it comes to yourselves, just not your own population. So 
GFY. Last year, Poland and Hungary surprised analysts by making the first substantial gold purchases by a European Union nation in more than a decade. For Russia, experts are starting to question whether it can afford to keep up its intense pace of buying. Some say the country will import more gold to guard against geopolitical shocks and the threat of tougher U.S. sanctions as relations between the two powers continue to deteriorate. Gold buying last year exceeded mining supply for the first time. Still, others argue that Russia's bullion demand is set to slow. Quote, should it reach the limit for domestic purchases, I think the central bank will start to import gold, said Oleg Kuzmin, chief economist of Renaissance Capital in Moscow and former advisor in the central bank's monetary policy department. Given the geopolitical risks... It's likely the central bank will keep increasing gold's share of reserves. One thing that could keep Russia's dollar reserves at a high level in the country's dependence on exporting commodities like oil, which are denominated in the greenback. Three quarters of the nation's annual $600 billion of trade is in dollars. Central bank buying has helped strengthen gold from a weak hand to a strong hand and supported gold prices in recent years, according to Ronald Peter Stoferle, managing partner at Liechtenstein-based asset manager Incrementum AG. Bullion has risen more than 20% since the start of 2016. It traded up 0.5% at 1000 $297.15 per ounce at 12.40 p.m. in London. If it wasn't for Russia's central bank, last year would have been the worst year for gold buying in a decade. So it helped put a floor on the price, said Adrian Ash, head of research at gold brokerage Bullion Vault LTD. However, Russian buying is now well known, so it would take a significant increase in their purchases to materially impact the gold price. And that's true. That's going to be the end of that article. And that that is true. However, what is left out of that particular statement is what was said earlier on. What happens if other countries start following suit and you end up with a gold rush? And that, that could happen because if people don't want to get to a point where they don't want the United States dollar anymore, uh, there's going to be a, it's just going to be a world of hurt you know, not investment advice by Bitcoin. Still, gold's not, you know, there's nothing wrong with gold. <clears throat> you know, it's, it's, I don't I don't have any myself. I probably should, but I don't. And I'm not losing sleep over it because there's there's there are other things. I like, you know, real estate. I like things that, you know, that generate money um, all by themselves without me really having to, to mess around with it, i.e., real estate, right? Um, and I, that's not really talking about buying and selling real estate. It's like, you know, buying a condo in, in, you know, a city and then renting it out to somebody who has, you know, no interest in destroying the property, you know, like a nurse or a traveling doctor or something like that. They don't really have time to throw massive parties and punch holes in the sheetrock. So they just pay you rent and that's pretty much it, man. Um, but that said, gold, ah, I, you know, I'm not dismissing it. I'm not going to dismiss that at all. So the Russians are hoarding gold. Those damn Russians can't believe it. Tom Jessup thinks the market is still an early adopter. This is from CryptoDaily.co.uk. Even though cryptocurrency is still in its early days, Tom Jessup, the head of corporate business development at Fidelity Investments and president of Fidelity Digital Assets, quote, What's interesting when you look at the data, as you might expect, it's still very much an early adopter market, like the folks that you would look at and say would tend to be more of the risk-taking investors on the spectrum. So the hedge funds and perhaps the family offices are further ahead than the pension funds and the endowments in quote. Fidelity has recently started to offer a Bitcoin custody service too. Jessup has said, quote, we started with what I'll call crypto native types. So a lot of crypto hedge funds in quote, in regards to potentially bringing in the 401k side to crypto, Jessup said, quote, I don't think that market's ready for this. When you're talking about institutional liquidity, given that many of these exchanges have effectively Retail, oh, I'm sorry. 
Many of these exchanges have effectively retail order books. The price impact of big institutional orders into a framework like that can be significant, end quote. The combined market cap of all cryptocurrencies and tokens currently stand at around $140 billion. That is one publicly traded stock firm, which is like 10% of Apple shares. The international stock market, by comparison, is $100 trillion. My God. Which makes cryptos 0.1% of it. Actually, I'm going to stop right there for just a second to say one-tenth of 1% of $100 trillion. Yeah, I get that the, the number works out, but still, that that's a that is a... <sighs> That's not an error, right? I mean, that's not like something that that doesn't rive above like an error when you're doing mathematics. That's that's wow, that's pretty impressive. I for something that's only 10 years old and most of the market didn't come in until like 5 years, you know, starting 5 years ago, you know, 0.1%. That's actually not all that bad. <laughs> In several ways, cryptocurrency is the small fish in the big pond when talking about $2.5 trillion to be spent somewhere in the hope of making a return. Some early adopters among institutional investors have already shifted some of their finances towards cryptocurrencies, although it is probably only a small amount when you think of their overall catalog, so to speak. Quote, We just completed a survey of about 450 institutions. So everything from family offices to registered investment advisors to hedge funds. It's interesting. I think about 20% indicated that they currently allocate to digital assets with an intention to grow that. Of the folks they allocate, of the folks they allocated, they will increase their allocation on average. They'll double their allocation over the next five years years in quote there have been a number of studies that have shown cryptos have a very unique quality in investing they don't correlate with anything yeah that it's the correlation is a uh, well <laughs> the correlation sometimes seems like it's there most of the time it it's not there at all like it's which is nice it's 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 nice that way. Um, so that that's going to do it for the news. I'm going to talk about something that's a little bit more on the grungy side um, to end the morning roundup off. This is mainly started because um, the lawsuit between uh, David Kleiman's brother Sue or and David Kleiman brother and uh, Craig Wright. Uh, David Kleiman's brother is suing Craig, uh, alleging that Craig stole a, uh, a hard drive or a thumb drive from Dave Kleiman that had the original Bitcoin on it because there is some talk that has been talk over the years that Dave Kleiman may actually be the original Satoshi Nakamoto, but he's dead. The thing about it is, is that it's weird dead. It's a, it's, it's a weird case. And I, uh, I'm, I don't know if I want to dig into this all that much, like making phone calls and stuff like that, but here's what this, there was an, an old, there's an old Gizmodo article, uh, dated, uh, December 9th, 2015. Um, and it has some details of his death that are particularly, I mean, they're clearly they're disturbing, but, uh, they're also weird and I can really only find, I, I never can find a whole lot on the interwebs about it except for this, you know, this Gizmodo and then other, I've found some other things, but they kind of quote the Gizmodo article. So I've just kind of gone to the source. And, um, this is a man who was freaking brilliant. Dave Kleiman, was a computer wizard and people were always asking him why it was that he was working where he was instead of out making billions of dollars or millions of dollars starting his own company or, you know, or like, you know, well, he did start his own company, but he was working, he, he wasn't developing soft, you know, software for sale at the highest prices. He was, he was kind of helping people get their collective security shit together because he was sort of a security expert. 
Um, but he was so good that people couldn't understand why he wasn't working for Google or why he wasn't working for Facebook or why he wasn't working for like a, a company that would be paying him mondo bricks of cash instead of doing his, you know, his own thing. And when he died, well, he got in a wheelchair or he, he became uh, bound to a wheelchair after a motorcycle accident. And then he just sort of kind of got worse and worse and worse and then started getting more and more freaky. And then he was found dead. Okay, so dead, right? So I'm just going to read these two paragraphs and then we'll, you know, I'll talk, say a few more words about it and then, and then that's it. Kleinman's exit from the Miami VA hospital in 2013 marked the beginning of what Page refers to as his Unabomber period. He holed up in his home and refused most contact from outsiders, including formerly close friends. He was profoundly physically unwell. At one point, he told Page that he was shivering, fighting off a fever, but would continue to work through it. On another occasion, he said he would call the police if Page continued calling to check up on him. Less than a month later, Dave Kleiman was found dead in his home. According to reports provided by the Palm Beach County Medical Examiner's Office, the scene of Kleiman's death was gruesome. His body was decomposing. There were wheelchair tracks of blood and fecal matter, open bottles of alcohol, and a loaded handgun next to him. A bullet hole in his mattress would seem to suggest suicide or foul play, but no ammunition casings were found, meaning he might have fired his gun and cleaned up sometime before dying. The official cause of death is listed as natural, and Conrad remembers hearing that the MRSA had stopped Kleiman's heart. Uh, MRSA is MRSA. In either event, um, that's all I'm going to read from this, but man, that reads just, that sets up so many freaking red flags for me. Okay, wheelchair tracks of blood. Whose blood? Was it Kleiman's blood? Was it somebody else's blood? Well, that's not, that's not talked about at all. And I cannot find for the life of me. And granted, I haven't looked all that hard. And maybe it's out there. Maybe it's not. This is where I start going. Should I even look into this? Because this is just weird. But given what I found so far, wheelchair tracks of blood and not saying whose blood, there's a loaded handgun there's a bullet hole in the mattress and, but there's no word as to whether or not climate shot himself or if somebody shot him and there's nothing in the, I mean, the, the coroner's report said he died of natural causes, which would not include a freaking bullet wound, right? That's not a natural cause of death. That's like getting shot. But there's so much about, there's so much unsaid here that it makes me just kind of go, huh, what the hell is this? So I've actually toyed around with the idea of, of trying to find the autopsy report. But again, you know, I don't know if I want, I don't know if I want to do it or not. I'll, I'll I'm going to think about it, but you know, this is just bizarre. And if this guy was in fact, uh, somebody who had something to do with uh, the creation of Bitcoin, because it talks about that. This, I mean, this is a, this, it may not be well known, but it is known that there is speculation that Dave Kleiman is Satoshi Nakamoto. And what sucks about that is that Dave Kleiman definitely had dealings with Craig Wright. Now, here is where I put a tinfo- a huge tinfoil hat on. Uh, I, you know, not even a hat, a baseball cap. In fact, I want a professionally made baseball cap made out of 100% tinfoil, not aluminum, actual tinfoil made out of tin. I want one so I can put it on at times like these. What if, what if Craig Wright is paying Dave Kleiman's brother to sue him? Just let that roll over in your head and some of the implications uh, that, you know, that that would have, that that carries with it. Uh, In my mind, I would rather... Dave Kleiman's brother just dropped the suit and just let it go. But 
that's probably not going to happen. Anyway, the, the lawsuit between Dave Kleiman and uh, Craig Wright is going on. Uh, I do believe Charlie Shrim is keeping abreast of it. Uh, you can go to, uh, I think it's at Charlie Shrim on Twitter. Um, he's made a few tweets about it. I, I, I think it's Charlie. In either event, that's going to do it for your morning roundup. Vital statistics, as usual, brought to you by BitInfo Charts. Bitcoin is at an average price of 4094 Yes, we've got a couple of green dildos out there. Don't get too excited. Slobber is unbecoming a Bitcoiner. It just is. 385,000 transactions have been made in the last 24 hours, with an average per hour of 16,000 transactions. 1.2 million BTC has been sent over that last 24 hours, with an average sent per hour of 52.5 thousand BTC. Average transaction value is 3.27 BTC, and the median is 0.04 BTC, or about 162 bucks. Uh, block time is low at 9 minutes 17 seconds, and 0.37 BTC is being taken per block, and a total number of fees of 57.92 BTC has been taken over the last 24 hours. We have a 1.17% rise in hash rate, so it's brought us to 46.5 exahashes per second. The last uh, GitHub commit was yesterday, March the 28th. From left to right, Ethereum is 140, Litecoin is 61, Bcash is 169, BSV is 64, Ethereum Classic is $4.81, and Dogecoin is stable at 0.0021. Good doggy. And at 30,000 transactions per second, Dogecoin still has the upper hand of transaction volume between uh, over Bcash and BSV combined at about 28,700, looks to me. That's going to do it for Vital Statistics for the day. Marty's Bent is brought to you by Led Zeppelin and Boogie with Stu.
Marty's bent for Thursday, March 28th, 2019, issue 540. Read this. Overview. We first wrote about the Lightning Network back in January 2018 when it was mostly theoretical. Today, as the Lightning Network transitions from abstract to experimental, we felt it was time to take another look. The primary focus of this report is to analyze the Lightning Network from a financial and investment perspective, notably with respect to fees and the incentives for Lightning Network providers. We will not examine other aspects of the technology. If you haven't done so already, I highly suggest you freaks peep this piece from the BitMEX research team that dives into the Lightning Network, how routing happens within it, and the economics of routing fees, an illuminating read that will help you realize how hard it is to be a successful routing node on the Lightning Network in its current form at the moment. Being a good liquidity provider and profitable route and profitable routing node is a very manual process that is not very friendly <clears throat> user experience if you are not very technical. With that being said, BitMEX shows that if you are willing to put in the work, it can be a profitable endeavor worth putting some effort into. As the LN scales and more liquidity pours into channels, investors and hobbyists alike have a unique opportunity to reap material gains by helping to facilitate the sloshing of the liquidity within that network. Hopefully over time, as the LN matures, these processes will become much easier and more automated. Is this possible? making the onboarding process onto Bitcoin's second layer more seamless, causing an explosion in node count and liquidity even more pronounced than what we have experienced over the last year. Pay attention to Turkey. Zero Hedge writes, Turkish Lyra overnight, 13, sorry, 1,338%. This is absolutely banana. (laughs) Something funky is afoot in the currency markets. Turkey's prime minister is learning a harsh real-time lesson in how markets react when you make it almost impossible for investors to sell your currency. No one man should have all that power. Final thoughts? Fives are rising. Yeah, so the Turkey thing is getting even worse. I talked about that on Wednesday. Uh, Yeah, uh, what? Keep your eyes on Turkey. Now, like I said on Wednesday, Turkey's been in Shitsville before. Not once, not twice, but I do believe three times over the last 10 years where it looked like they were going to unzip, man, and they didn't. And so don't be surprised if somehow or another the whole Turkish thing just goes away. Because it went away earlier, and then it went away again earlier than that. You know, I just thought Turkey was going to be the 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 you know the zipper of the fly that is the European Union and rocking across Greece, Italy, Austria, Spain, France, yet yeah, Germany, like you know, and just unzip the whole damn thing, and it didn't happen. Will it happen this time? I don't know, but. Turkey's looking pretty, pretty frail at this point. Anyway, thank you, Marty. We uh, appreciate you letting me read read your bit on the show, bro. It's time for Torchlight. Let's light it up. So... Uh, one day ago, Paul Ferguson at Paul underscore Ferguson. I've got the torch and boy, is it getting heavy? What an honor. Thank you. Beauty on Hodelot and Satoshi Nakamoto. Next up, send an invoice for 4 million and 80,000 Satoshis to experiencing the bleeding edge of technology. So yeah, that's, that was uh Paul from one day from yesterday and I uh, woke up uh, this morning and found out that Charlie Lee was holding the torch for a little time. And boy, ah, Charlie, yeah, I love you, man. There's not, there's not a move you can make that doesn't, I mean, even if it's just trying to be humorous, there's not a move you can make that just doesn't result in you getting freaking trashed. <laughs> so what, what am I talking about? Uh, okay, let's just, let, let's go through this organically. 
Uh, one day ago at Satoshi Light, which is Charlie Lee's Twitter handle, says, I'm holding the lightning torch. Who wants it? Send me an invoice for 4.11 million Satoshi. Or I can also atomic swap it into 4.11 million Litoshis. LN Trust Chain. <laughs> oh, God. So he had, uh, in that particular tweet, he had retweeted, uh, Mark, <clears throat> who says, Charlie, welcome to the LN trust chain. It's an honor to pass the torch to someone who has done so much for the adoption and the crypto ecosystem. Thank you. So it kind of looks like Mark got the torch from Paul Ferguson, who then passed it to Charlie. Man, this is just, this is like archaeology that's like real time archaeology because things happen, like I say, they happen so fast in this space. Things that were a week ago are damn near ancient history, damn near forgotten, and can only be dug up by people with spades, trowels, little hand brushes, and magnifying freaking glasses, man. I mean, it's just, this is, this is an anthropologist, and archaeologist wet dream, this entire space. Okay, so, yeah, so Charlie made a joke that he was going to, to fork the uh, LN trust chain. I don't believe for a second and a half that Charlie was anywhere close to serious. You got to remember, dude, he's, he's, he's a, what it's a, a 2d animated chicken with a freaking rocket pack and a, and a magic wand or something like that. Okay. Come on guys have some humor. If we don't have any humor in this space, we're all going to lose our minds. We've got, to have some amount of humor, all right? And that means when somebody does something or says something and they mean it humorously, don't automatically say, I'm going to strip away the fact that I know that this person was just joking and turn it into a thing. We got too many things. There's too many things to watch out for. And this is what I'm talking about. And, and you know, I, I, like, I like these dudes, okay? But this is sort of like a couple of comments that were made about it. You know, uh, Phrasem11 says Charlie is a counterfeit pro. Copies all BTC code, forks LN trust chain, and even copies the pseudonym hashtag counterfeiters. Uh, Coyote, Coyotal? Oh, that's cool. Coyotal company. Coyotal, nice. He, He says magical crypto Charlie was cool enough to delete the tweet about forking the LN trust chain. I respect that. Okay, I, I, People took this way too seriously, way too fast. I understand that. I really do. The way that the, you know, the the sentiment on the street right now is pretty salty. There's a lot of salt. There's been a lot of salt. We've been swimming in salt. So it's kind of time for us to just chill out, step back, take more than a few deep breaths, and relax. Because Crypto Meme Central, otherwise known as Crypto Scam Hub, says Charlie Lee said abracadabra and the LN trust chain magically appeared in the hands of Billy Barhart, CEO of Abra. <laughs> Abra Cadabra. <laughs> LN trust chain. Oh, uh, you know, and if you're not following Crypto Scam Hub, you should. Uh, really great meme machine out there, man. And we, like I said, humor is more important in this space than I think anybody realizes at this point. We, if anything needs to be taken seriously right now, it's the injection of humor into this space because man, we're, we're just getting way, way, way too far down the road in this misery and, and, and sadness and, and the depths of the bear market making people crazy. I got Roger Ver tweet, you know, favoriting his own or liking his own tweets, and uh, people are losing their mind. And it's so sad. It's it's so sad that I think the only the only real response that I can have for this is to sell it all for cash. <laughs> I hurt myself 
today To see if I still feel I focus on the pain The only thing that's real The needle tears a hole The old familiar sting Try to kill it all away But I remember everything What have I become? My sweetest friend Everyone I know Goes away in the end And you could have it all My empire of dirt Upon my liar's chair Full of broken thoughts I cannot repair Beneath the stains of time The feelings disappear You are someone else I am still right here What have I become? My sweetest friend Everyone I know Goes away in the end And you could have Thank you, Mr. Cash. So, your daily train wreck is brought to you by Crypto Bacon. That's right. Crypto Bacon, if you're not following at Crypto Bacon on Twitter, please do so. Dude's all right, man. Solid dude. And Mr. Bacon says, why do people make an ass of themselves and say stuff like this? Dan Larimer, the serial scammer, thinks he can bring down Bitcoin. That hash rate would disperse to non-compromised pools. Pools do not equal miners. What's he talking about? Well, here's your train wrecked right here. Daniel Larimer says, and if you don't know his Twitter handle, it's at ByteMaster7, B-Y-T-E Master7. How many people would you have to hold hostage to censor all transactions on your decentralized chain? How long would it take to recover? At Chengdu replies, more than 21. To which Daniel Larimer replies, what is your chain? I could take down BTC and ETH for quite a while with just three pool operators. God almighty, man. So... I don't know exactly what Dan's trying to say. I mean, is he making a threat? Is he, you know, is he jumping on with, with Krista Rose and 
telling us all that after all these years that, you know, th- that we're thing, the landscape has been, you know, not entirely different on a year over year basis. There's always been mining pools. I mean, except for like the first year and then mining pools started cropping up. I mean, it's not like anything's changed. Now, all of a sudden three pools are going to take down BTC. Everything's going to take down BTC. It's been dead over 200 times. And yet zombie Bitcoin keeps coming up out of the grave, which it never actually got buried in in the first freaking place, and walks around doing exactly what zombie Bitcoin did before its last terrible demise. It doesn't give a shit. It doesn't give a shit about Dan Larimer. It doesn't give a shit about mining pools. It does not care. And the reason it doesn't care is because the organism itself includes way too many people. Way too many people. There's checks and balances on all ecologies, and this is no different. Just because it's we're talking about a digital thing and computer code, there are still actual biologic beings wrapped around it. That would be us. We have brains, hearts that pump blood. We have kids and loved ones and people that don't like us and people we don't like. You know, and and we are in conflict and in and we trust each other and we don't trust each other. And where there's not conflict, there's cooperation. And where there's not either conflict or cooperation, there is like a, I don't know, a polite standoff or a Mexican standoff. You know, it's like a, a no-shoot scenario where if somebody pulls the trigger, everybody's gonna die. This is the way it ecologies have worked this way since before we climbed down out of the trees. Why? Because even before we were in the trees, there were trees and those trees have an ecology. All right. The the ecology, the ecological situation behind Bitcoin is an untapped drum of content. And one, you know, at one point or another, I'm, I'm, going to figure out exactly how this connects and how to bring more of that stuff into this show. But until then, that's your daily dream. Terrible Joke Corner brought to you by Little Kitty Cat. Little Kitty Cat. And I'm talking about bad joke cat says past, present and future walked into a bar. It was tense. There's nothing like a quick, fast, terrible joke. And that was one of the quickest, fastest, most terrible jokes I've come across. I'm going to go pleb out, y'all. So all the Bitcoin plebs, you know who you are. Uh, It's been a joyful week. I've had a lot of fun on Twitter. I wasn't on yesterday because for 10 hours straight, every single internet connection uh, in the region that I live was down because AT&T lost a tower or something. I'm not exactly sure. Don't care because it was a it was a nice 10 hour break from from the fray you know uh missed a lot of stuff but yeah whatever anyway uh i'll i'll be back on monday we'll see what we can drum up uh from the ecology front maybe i'll make a phone call to the palm beach county medical examiner's office and see what it would take to get a copy of dave Kleiman's uh autopsy report um and then, but even if it comes back with, yeah, there's no gunshot wound, it's like you got, I mean, again, okay, look, I, it just dawned on me. If he shot, if Kleinman was the shooter and shot somebody seemingly lying on the bed because there was a bullet hole in, in the mattress, but there was no blood stains on the mattress. Anyway, if, if David shot somebody from a wheelchair because he was paralyzed. He's a paraplegic, paralyzed, can't walk. 
and the the story said he maybe he discharged the weapon and then cleaned up before dying. How how is this not like one of the strangest damn things anybody's ever heard? He sh- like let's say he did shoot somebody, and then what cleaned up their bl- like cleaned up a mattress, you know, from of blood while he's in a wheelchair. Who does that? Can it even be done? I just the whole thing is weird. So, like I said, maybe I'll make a phone call to the medical examiner's office and just ask him, what would you say if I needed to get Dave Kleiman's uh, autopsy report and maybe the Palm Beach County detectives and say, is there any way that I can get a hold of the investigation file or can you tell me anything about it? I mean, the worst they can do is say no, right? Unless... I accidentally stumble upon some kind of weird worldwide spy level shit intrigue and then get off. In which case, I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.